Yeah, open your Bibles to Titus 1. Uh, let's just get into it. Uh, hey, excited actually to start this new series in this short book, short series. If you're struggling to find the book of Titus, it's because it's like a page, all right? So you might. It's, it's, if you're using the back of the, the Bibles on the back of the seat there, it's page 167, all the way close to the end. That, that, they start the numbers over in the New Testament in those Bibles, so it's really close to the end. It's after Timothy, before Hebrews. You can find this tiny, short, great little book, and... We are looking into this, this book for a few weeks here on all about what is this to have a life that is centered around the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and how that like not only saves us, but then affects how we live every day and every moment of all of our life. And so wanted to just give us a little bit of kind of an introduction and, and what's going on in this book. Why is it being written? Who's it written to? Some of that. It's written to this group of people or this, this guy Titus, who's this leader of a group of people on an island called Crete. All right. And so Titus and Paul had been going on uh, missionary journeys together. So Paul the Apostle, and they were going on missionary journeys together. And on one of those journeys, they went through this island called Crete, and a bunch of people get saved and are now following Jesus. But then they just keep moving on. I mean, that was the thing. Paul's like, start, you know, people are getting saved and they're moving on. And they've realized, okay, whoa, 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 we've, we've had a bunch of people begin to be followers of Jesus— but we didn't really establish churches or leadership in these places. And so then Paul writes to Titus and says, all right, I want you to establish leaders in this place because it had gotten a little bit crazy. There'd been some disorder in this place because of how these people of Crete are. Now, they are called Cretans. Right now, maybe you recognize that. I don't know if younger generations sort of recognize that as a term that's even still used today, but it's a derogatory term to be called a Cretan. All right, now these, these people were even referred to by their own philosopher in this book, in Titus. If you look at verse 12, it says, One of themselves, a prophet of their own, who was a philosopher named Epimenides. He actually, is, so he's a Cretan, and he writes this. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I love the always in there too, you know. It feels like what not to say in marriage kind of term, you know, like always, never. And like, it's just like, he's just always. Now, apparently this guy Epimenides was a respected philosopher amongst these people. They, they love, he's one of them and they like him. <laughs> and so when he says this, it's probably hard for them to refute it, but um, that's the description. It's even interesting because he says evil, um, you know, evil brutes. He says, what is it? Uh, evil beasts. And it's, it's said that on the island of Crete, there weren't actually any dangerous animals, any dangerous wild animals. But they said, even in that time, it's because the people were wild and dangerous enough on Crete. And so that's this, this whole thing. And even in Greek, to Crete was to lie. So, you know, it's not like a great start for these folks, but they're getting this thing started. But then what's happening is there's rebellion happening. There's a false gospel being preached. And so they have to come in and, and Paul needs to, to write to them. But it's not too far off, I think, from our modern culture of dishonesty, of harshness, 
of selfishness. So I think there's probably going to be some good words for all of us here. Now, this letter would be read out loud to the believers in this place. And so everybody is hearing what, like, what Paul wants Titus to do. Everybody's hearing it. I want you to establish these leaders. This is the kind of leader that you should establish in each city around this area. These are the leaders worth following. Now, if you've got Titus open, you'll see... In, in this verse 5, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, Titus, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now, that's, that's why. But here's a little bit more of what's going wrong if you look down in verse 10 to 16. It says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Basically, what you have going on in this area is that you have people saying you still need to follow the old Jewish laws to be saved. That was what was happening in the book of Galatians as well, this group called the Judaizers, where they're saying, okay, it's not just grace, it's not just saved by grace alone, it's you have to also add these works. And so it kind of goes on to, to tell more about that in 10 to 16. But this action that's supposed to be taken is he's supposed to bring order and appoint elders, appoint these leaders, and he tells you, okay, here's what I want those leaders to be like. He doesn't give them a set of skills. He doesn't give them some organizational structure that they're supposed to follow. He says, I want them to be people of a certain kind of character and godliness. That's what matters. That's what matters most when you're going to establish these, what we want to call gospel-centered leaders. Now, today you're going to need your outline. Hopefully you've got one when you come in, bulletin. There's an outline in there. There's also this little half page of reflection questions, which if you start getting bored, you can start working on now. If you want to get, you know, you're overachiever, you want to get a little ahead, feel free. Start working on it now. Um, I'll refer to it a couple times. But just some reflection questions that you'll anonymously, we'll ask you to anonymously turn in today even. Um, but uh, on the back of the outline, we, I even have for you kind of half, halfway down there, four leadership roles in the church. This is not exhaustive. There's others. I didn't include apostle, which is what Paul is, even in this, in Titus 1, 1, he says that he is this pioneer church planter who is an eyewitness of Jesus, bringing testimony. That's these apostles uh, doing that. But others you've got here are one that's in this text is elders, presbyteros, this Greek word, presbyter, the Presbyterian church. Maybe you've heard this word before. That's kind of what they're basing this off of. Titus 1.5 says to establish elders. And so this is just people who are senior or older. And it sometimes is just referring to them being as like older people in the community. But then other times it's referring to a specific leadership role in the church, just depending on the context of how it's used. Then you've got another word that's overseer, which is episkopos, which again, you can kind of see in like denominations have named their denomination, the Episcopal Church. All right, so the overseers in Titus 1.7, you have, uh, it talks about overseers. So it's in this passage we're looking at. Also, 1 Timothy 3 says, uh, talks about overseers. 1 Timothy 3 and this chapter, Titus 1, these are the main two chapters that describe what an elder overseer needs to be like in the church. 
All right, so that's this bishop or primary leader in the local church. And I think this is the biblical word that most people are thinking when they hear the main pastor, like the senior pastor, lead pastor of the church, and they think pastor. Really, biblically, it's this episkopos. I think this word overseer. Now, there's other ones too. Now, first of all, okay, so these, these two, elder and overseer, when you study them and you look and you read them into the language and in the context, that these are roles that the Bible describes as male roles. These are roles for men in the church. Now, others that uh, you'll see are more like either have both or just are sort of neutral in the way that they are referring to them in gender. Now, number three, deacon or diakonos in the Greek. This is, uh, has deacons and deaconesses in the scripture we see. First Timothy 3, 8 talks about deacons and continues. Uh, it's a servant, a minister, a person who renders service and help to others. It's a, it is a role in the early church as well. And then the last one there is pastor, poemen in the Greek. It's in Ephesians 4.11, and this word, that's the only place it's really in our Bible translated pastor. In all other places, it's just shepherd, because that word, poemen, shepherd, or pastor, is simply the word that is used of somebody that tends a flock or guards a flock of sheep or goats. So that is a shepherd, sheep. Herder. Okay, that's the whole point. So that's what poemen is, and it has nothing to do with that person's gender or who they were. So that's where even that where we have some of our understanding of some of these different roles in the church and who is to fulfill them. Um, so I just encourage you to look at that. Now, what must these leaders be like? If Titus is supposed to appoint these leaders in every city in Crete, what are these leaders supposed to be like? He has a way of describing them that we'll see here in verses 6 through 9. So, so check this out with me. He says, appoint these elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. And there's going to be some, I'm going to explain some of these weird words, even in English they're weird. But for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Okay, so that's what's going on. So these leaders are to be above reproach in home, in character, and in doctrine. Above reproach, all right? Not perfect, but without accusation being able to be brought against them. Above reproach in home, in character, and in doctrine. So we're going to look at all, all these, these three areas and what these things are. So we start with above reproach in the home. It's like above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Now, so husband of one wife, it's like even more literally, it's described as a one-woman man, okay? That is the kind of leader, is that he's with one woman and one woman alone and faithful to that woman, 
Okay, that is what our leaders should be and should be like. Now, they also are to have children who believe. And this is referring to children living in their home while they're still young. That is kind of the context of this. Okay, that this is like that these children, as you are raising them, they are children who believe and aren't wild in dissipation or rebellion and just complete disobedience. Now, it's like, obviously, there's like not perfection in this, in the demand, uh, but it is like that this is how this person stewards their own personal household. So why? Why in the world? Why does this matter? Why is this part of it? Because, you see, an overseer stewards God's household. An overseer stewards God's household. And I like that even kind of way of thinking about that is that they steward it. They have been given some like oversight towards this while not being the Lord and ruler over it, but they are a steward over their household. And if when you are looking for leaders to steward God's household, look for leaders who are already stewarding their household well. Okay, that is how Paul wants Titus to look for leaders. Not just even what they aspire to be, but for what they already are doing. So look for them, and when you look for people who are leading well in their home, they will lead well in the church as well. So essentially, it's the most important reference for a church leader or potential church leader, in this case, is what goes on in their home. So above reproach in the home, and then above reproach in character. Okay, who they are, what kind of person they are as a follower of Jesus themselves. I like to think of as leaders have to be good followers, okay? Great leaders are great followers of Jesus. And we see what these traits are, as we already read, but in Titus 1, 7 through 8. So all of these, I'm not going to read it again because I'm going to actually go through these um, one by one. And so this, this list, and like I said, 1 Timothy 3 these are the two lists of these qualities that Paul is saying that, that these overseers and elders should have. And so what I want us to think about, though, here before we go through them is, some of you might be out there thinking, okay, well, I'm not a man, and I'm not older, and I don't want to lead. <laughs> and so you're like, and I'm out, right? Okay, just not listening anymore. But what I want us to like, have a sense of here is that if this is the list of the qualities of what these leaders should be like, then it feels like a list of qualities that all of us should aspire to. If this is what God is saying, this is what I want the people that lead to have, I think these are a great list of things to, to have the qualities that we are trying to live out no matter who we are or where we're coming from. Okay, so let's kind of start going through some of this. And I want you to think sort of, you know, again, part of even these reflection questions is what are some of these that you feel like you need to be like thinking about as both strengths and weaknesses in yourself. So think about these as we go through them. So these, this list is broken down, I think, really into part of them are things to run from and part of them are things to run towards or to pursue. So here's what it says to run from, to not be self-willed. 
Okay, now that's even maybe a little hard to understand, but it's to be arrogant, stubborn, or overbearing. You don't want to be those things. That is what to run from. We don't want Gaston leading our church. Okay, that's kind of the the concept. Okay, it's just all about him. He's self-willed. He's arrogant. We don't want Gaston leading the church. Uh, Not quick-tempered. Okay, so not quick-tempered, not inclined to anger. Um, we want to have a check on anger. And even if, if you have a sense of being angry, it is able to be worked through in a healthy way that we don't want the Hulk to lead our church. Now, also, not addicted to wine, it says. Not given to drunkenness. It's important to recognize, and as we read in the scriptures, it's, it's drunkenness that is the thing that is called out. It doesn't mean that all leaders must completely abstain from alcohol. That's not a biblical mandate, I don't believe. But not given to drunkenness or addicted to wine is the description in this, because we don't want the new drunk Thor to lead our church. We'll move on. Uh, okay, but um, the next one is pugnacious. This is not a word I typically use on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but pugnacious is not part of my everyday vocabulary. So vocabulary, so bully, violent, a person that's a bully, a person that's violent, a person that's going to attack people all the time in both word and action. We don't want that kind of leader. And what's crazy, I mean, we've even seen in the last couple of years, we've seen some sort of national prominent church leaders even be kicked out of their positions because of being leaders that bully, because of being leaders that are overly harsh with the people that work for them and with them. We don't want Johnny Lawrence from the Karate Kid to lead our church. We are not Cobra Kai. We don't sweep the leg. We want to be kind, okay? We are a kind and loving church in the way we lead. And that's a classic, by the way. If you're young and you haven't seen it, see it. Come on, that's dumb. All right, now, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bully you. Okay, so, okay. Uh, (laughs) All right, not fond of sordid gain. Again, very biblical sort of sounding big words, but just not being greedy. You're not doing this for the money, okay? We can't be leaders who do this for the money. It's, it's, it's a, probably the biggest way that society at large looks down upon Christianity, is that leadership in the church is just doing it for the money, and you see that in the televangelists, you see that on TV, and that's a bummer that that's probably most people's glimpse of Christianity is what they see on TV, which tends to go towards a prosperity gospel and seeking out money and success, quote unquote, through, um, through all this. And so we have to be leaders who don't do this for the money. We can't have Ebenezer Scrooge leading the church, although sometimes we're okay if we get a little Scroogey from our trustee board telling us not to spend too much, but that's all. Um, so that's some of the stuff to run from. Now, what should we be pursuing? So what I want to do here is to show you some of these things that we should be pursuing. And then what I'm actually going to do is then show a picture and, and tell you of one of our elders, or in one case, a former elder, who I think is living this out. They have no idea I'm going to be doing this. So be excited to hear it, you know, from, from us if you are one of our elders. So what to pursue? The first is, as we've already looked at, above reproach in the home that leads family well. And this guy's not here. He's in Minnesota at a family wedding. But I believe that John Norton leads his family well, is a great steward of his home. And if you know him, you would have seen this in his family and in his awesome kids. And so I, I just wanted to point that out as someone I think that stewards his family well. 
The next word in this list is hospitable. Okay, great hospitality. Welcomes the stranger, cares for others, serves others, nurturing. Just this is a, is a huge value in biblical times. Hospitality. That people would welcome in the stranger and serve them tea and you could sit under their tent for three days and just take in what you need until you need to move along, even if you are a complete and total stranger. And I think uh, one of our elders, when I think of hospitable and hospitality, I think of Jesus Victor, a man that just exudes this love love and care and wants to nurture and care for other people. And so he's a great example of this if you're looking for one. The next one is to love what is good. To be, you want to look for leaders who love what's good. They're not constantly kind of creeping towards the evil or the bad. They love what's good and they have this heart that is inclined towards God's heart and they just kind of have this pouring out of them. And for me, it is our current elder, John Reed, that loves what is good. Yeah, he's getting the big applause. Uh, Younger folks might know him as Officer Reed, uh, as he is maybe uh, and, and the grand puppeteer of Calvary Church. But um, he, is, uh, he is awesome. And just you feel that sense of loving what is good uh, when you spend some time with him. Now, sensible. So we can't just always just, you know, it's not only being hospitable and loving what is good, but I think one of uh, this sense of being wise, prudent, controlled, that we also have after this sense of being like wise in all of our decisions. And for me, it's this, our current chairman of our elder board, Neil Parr, is uh, a great, sensible, wise, and prudent leader as he smiles and shakes his head. <laughs> but uh, it is, <clears throat> the next one is to be just, righteous, upright, a person in accord with God's standards, loves justice, right and wrong, has a deep sense of right and wrong, and cares about justice in the world. And I think of our current elder, Craig Bryson, when I think of a man that is just, yeah, you don't have to clap because it's too weird. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but then the next one, this one's tough, devout, holy, pious, is everyone, how many people are just like raising their hand? That's me. I'm holy and pious. <laughs> Probably not many of us. And so I actually thought I'd go with a former elder on this one. <laughs> but it's actually a man who has since passed into glory. And I think when I think of devout, holy, and pious, I think of Dan O'Brien. This amazing leader. You can clap for Dan. Yeah. Um, Dan O'Brien has passed away, but he had a heart for evangelism, for prayer, for the Lord, and every, everything he would do, every conversation he would have. And so we just love Dan O'Brien. All right, the next one, self-controlled. Self-controlled, to be disciplined, to be strong, master of self. That's a little strong, but like to be master of self, to think about how we live in this self-controlled, disciplined way. And I think of George Andrews, one of our current elders, when I think of this. Now, the next thing, so these are these qualities in 6 through 9. And then as we get into these next couple verses, we'll see in verse 10 that rebuke false doctrine is the other characteristic that these leaders need to have. So you've seen all of these characteristics that these leaders need to have. And then also they need to be able to rebuke false doctrine. And so I have one more picture. And it's a person that has served probably for the longest consecutive amount of years without going off the elder board because he didn't have to as uh, the former senior pastor of Calvary Church, David Mitchell. I think he is like absolutely, um, absolutely lives out rebuking false doctrine, 
having sound doctrine himself, teaching well from the scriptures was like the perfect example, I think, that we have of someone when it comes to keeping sound doctrine and being above reproach in that. So all these characteristics are here in this passage. And these are concerns and these are things to be thinking about because if you have someone that has a a high amount of skills, a high skill set, those skills can be used for selfish ends and become destructive without this kind of character. Uh, Great charismatic leaders can often become the worst tyrants if they don't have this kind of character. That also a failure to teach truth often begins with a failure to live morally, a failure to live according to God's standards. And so these are so important for us when we think about leaders. It's not just how leadership is structured. It's not just the kind of skills they have. It's not just how charismatic of a leader they might be. But what matters so much is the godly character of those leaders. And so I ask you, what behaviors for you— Do you instinctively seek to justify in your own life as not that big of a deal, but they might be on this list here, right? I want you to kind of consider, Lord, what are those things that are easy for me to sort of pass off for myself? And so this could be another good time just for you to start working on this. You can, you know, you can half listen to me and half work on this, but... um, you know, start thinking through these reflection questions. As I move towards the end of the year, what character qualities from Titus 1 do I want to work on? And then even to reflect on some of these teachings that we've had and challenges that we've had in this past season from the generosity series to these challenges that leadership has had to you of each one reach one. So even work on filling that out some but as we continue with just this we also have to be above reproach, like I talked about with Dave, above reproach in doctrine. It says, hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. So godly leaders are to exhort. Exhort is another weird word, right? It's, it's, it's got kind of a lot of depth of meaning to it, to encourage, to comfort, but also to persuade and admonish. It's not just nice, nice, nice. It also can get a little bit firm at times to exhort with sound doctrine, with right beliefs from the word of God is what leaders need to be able to do. And they also have to refute when false doctrine comes in, to rebuke it, to expose it, to show fault. In this case, it was again bringing in that legalism into the church, that sense of following all the old Jewish laws to be saved. And it was this also this rebellious spirit that was happening that they also had to refute and rebuke and to establish good leaders that will do these things. Because it's hard to rebuke and refute We like to seek approval from people, but leaders can't just seek approval from people, but must only seek approval from God when it comes to this kind of stuff, when it comes to doctrine. That has to be what is most important. And so Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. We need to have leaders that are worth following. And then our response as people is then to follow, right? That's the proper response when it comes to, we see that we have leaders who are living these things out. 
then we as people need to consider, okay, are they leaders worth following? If so, then I will follow. And another good reflection in this is, how have I been responding then to the challenges that have been brought by by leaders, like, or the, the, the mission that we have as a church. Uh, I'd encourage you to grab your outline again and look on the back. And it says, our response. It says, response. It says, our calling. We're called to follow and give honor to leaders that display these traits. Okay, so like, consider, how do you do at following? We all have to follow. I might be the senior pastor here, but I follow. I serve under the elder board, and I serve under Jesus Christ. Okay? And we all do. We all serve under the elders and under Christ that we are to follow these godly leaders. And I tell you, when it comes to our elders here at Calvary Church, I wholeheartedly, willingly submit myself to their leadership because I believe in them as godly men that fulfill the qualities that we see here in this text. And I say, thank you, Lord, that we have leaders like that, that we can follow in that way. And so I encourage you to, and I encourage you then in also in response, self-reflection, to work on filling that out, kind of reflect on how am I doing with this stuff? How am I responding to these things? And we want you to turn it in because I think this can actually help us in how we teach and how we pray for you as leaders and how we're doing in the things we're doing. So it's your self-assessment which helps us to assess and how we're doing in the sense of all of this. So I encourage you to be filling that out after we take communion um, or just you can pass them to the center aisles and people will come and pick those up. But, but now— we need also, we have a time of reflecting and assessing how we are doing before the Lord every time before we are able to take part in communion. And that's what we'll have a transition to now. Because you see, nobody can fulfill all of these traits in Titus 1. You cannot fulfill these traits under your own power. It's It's impossible. We can only fulfill these traits, first of all, if we have received salvation of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That the true good news, the gospel of Jesus, is that Jesus Christ is God. And that Jesus lived a perfect life that we cannot live. That we are all sinners. We have sinned, he did not. And he went willingly upon the cross— And when he died upon that cross, he took the penalty for our sin upon himself. And he suffered, and when he gave his body, when we take communion, that bread represents his body given upon that cross. When we drink that from that cup, that represents his blood that he shed on that cross. And that on the third day, he rose from the dead in power and victory over sin and over death. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that then salvation and forgiveness is given to you as a free gift. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not a work. You can't work it yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not your work. That's in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Like that is the gospel of Jesus. So we must be saved. And if you're not, I ask you to pray to the Lord Jesus right now that he would save you through his power and not your own. And then we also recognize that every day we live by the power of that gospel. We live every day by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and we live it all through him. And he empowers us to be able to fulfill these traits, okay, to be the kind of men and women that God has called us to be. So now as we go into this time of taking communion, reflect on that. Reflect on the cost of the gift that's free for you, the cost that he paid. Reflect on your life. If you want to work on that, filling that out too, you can. Let's reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we love you and we thank you. And we recognize that again here, what was free for us cost much. And may our hearts be deeply, deeply impacted again today by remembering and being thankful for what you've done. God, speak to us of how we should assess our lives and what we need to work on and grow in, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.